Let's turn to the New Testament, the last couple of verses of James chapter 5, and that's verses 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner, a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Welcome back. It is still Sunday, May the 24th, and uh, we're not in a different time zone. Um, we've just been having uh, various uh, technical difficulties today, so you can pray that it will stay with us through the rest of the service today as we come to the conclusion of the book of James. This past week, as I was reflecting on uh, this particular portion of text, my mind went to an illustration or a story that I remember reading years ago, and I actually remember the event of Korean Airlines Flight 007, which departed Anchorage, Alaska on September 1983 for its direct flight to Seoul, Korea. However, unknown to the pilot and the crew, the computer engaging the flight navigation system contained a small routing error, one in one-half degree. At the point of departure, the mistake was unnoticeable. A hundred miles out, the deviation was so small as to be undetectable. But as that giant 747 continued through the Aleutians and out over the Pacific Air, uh, Ocean, the error was picked up by Soviet radar. Jets were scrambled to intercept, and over mainland Russia, Flight 007 was shot out of the sky. All on board that flight were lost. A small error made at the point of departure resulted in a tragic trajectory and a destructive finish. I think as James uh, concludes his letter there, there's this warning in this letter about spiritual deviation or of wandering. Of course, the destruction doesn't happen in a single moment. As with Flight 007, the kind of wandering or backsliding which James is talking about can start off small, but if undetected, it leads to the death of one's soul. As I come to this text this morning, I feel like we've at a point of significant departure. It's kind of like when two friends have been walking together for some time. Maybe they've met up for a weekend and they've enjoyed each other's company. They've been talking about family and life. They've been going over various things in their life and just helping one another out and encouraging one another. And at the end of the weekend, they have to go and part and head off on their separate ways. It's kind of what I feel like as we come to the very end of the book of James. That as James and I have been walking, and you have been walking on this path for some 27 or 28 weeks, we're now about to part company. And I really can't wait until we meet again. It might be strange parting words, though, if you ask yourself these kinds of things or think through them. They might even take us a little bit by surprise. But they are great words of parting. And I think we need to remember that they fit in context with what James started writing in verse 13 of chapter 5. And together these words are part of that whole final conclusion. If you have your Bible open, you'll notice that in verse 13 he uses that phrase, if anyone among you. And then in 14 again, verse 14 he says, if anyone among you. And now again in verse 19, if anyone among you. And so I think there's a verbal connection that James wants us to make that ties all of these verses together. And I think there's a theological connection also in these verses. In verse 15, he talks about the prayer of faith that will be able to save the one who is sick. 
And now again in verse 20, he says, If anyone turns back a sinner from the error of his way, he will save his soul from death. So there's a theological connection in these last few verses. Secondly, as you read these verses, and I'd encourage you to maybe go and do that on your own again this afternoon, you'll realize there seems to be a family encouragement about these words. These are words that might come from a family meeting. I was thinking maybe these are words of a father as he knows he's got two or three months left to live and he gathers his family together and he just, he, he just talks about various things with them. There's a range of interaction that the James talks about here. He's talking about being sorrowful. He's talking about um, uh, being joyful. He's talking about how we sin and how we call or how we're sick and we call the elders. He talks about that when we sin against one another, we confess our sins. And now he talks about, and even some of you might wander away. It's like a dad might say, you know, just keep each other on the straight and narrow path. Look out for each other. And so these verses are part of that context of looking out for one another. But third, as I've been thinking about it, there's something a little bit unique about verses 19 and 20. In verses 13 to 18, there's the initiative that's taken by the person that is sorrowful or the person that is joyful or the person that is sick. They rejoice or they call people to pray or they confess their sins to one another. But you come to verses 19 and 20 and that's not there. You you find the person that's wandering is not calling out for help. They're not calling out for rejoicing. They're not even calling out in their weakness for the elders even to come and pray for them. They're just sort of drifting off on their own. And there's a difference between then those who recognize there's something going on in their soul or in their spirit and they need help or they need the family to gather with them versus somebody who just wanders away, so to speak, from the family. I think there's a little bit of both of that in us. Sometimes we are encouraged and we want the family of Christ. And other times we want to withdraw from the family of Christ. And so it's these ideas that make up these last few verses of James chapter 5. As I see it, James speaks of a few things. And these are the points that I want to make this morning as we gather. First, there's a sobering possibility that James describes. Secondly... There's a significant risk that he poses. And thirdly, there's a satisfying outcome that comes from obeying the words of James. So the first is simply a sobering possibility. Notice what he says in the first phrase in verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, it would be so unwise for any of us to think that will never happen to me. That could never be me. We do that to our own peril. We know and we looked at as a church a while ago some of the schemes of the devil. How subtle he is. How effective they are. We realize that the world around us, its lusts, its pleasures are appealing to us. And at a weak moment they can draw us towards them. How the world exerts a pressure to squeeze us into a mold. How our own hearts are still desperately wicked it seems. James uses this phrase, my brothers. He's talking about the family of God. He's he's not talking about somebody outside the family. He's talking about those of us who fellowship with one another, brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, my brothers, if any one of you wanders from the truth. This word wander is a word from where we get planets from. 
And before we sort of knew how to track these things, the planets would appear to just wander in the sky. James had earlier used the same word to speak of being deceived in verse 16 of chapter 1. Deception is a kind of wandering. And just think a moment about this. Think a moment about that word, anyone. Let it sink in to your heart and to your mind. I often personalize the scripture when I read it. And so as I've been reading this particular verse, I've been putting my own name in there. Now, if Paul wanders from the truth, to just remind myself that I'm not above this temptation, as the song we sung reminds us, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to uh, leave the one I love. And so when you hear that phrase, brothers, if any among you wanders, don't look at the person beside you. Realize that you have that potential in your own heart. So wandering is in the mind of James. This is where you see his pastoral heart coming out again as he's communicating and writing this letter to these people that are going to receive it. We know that wandering takes various different forms in our life and our experience. Sometimes we wander deliberately. It's like you go into a shopping mall. Uh, I saw them opening up again the other day, but you go into a shopping mall and and you say, well, I'm just going to wander for a little while. And so you just wander from one store to the next, and there's four walls that at least keep you safe, and there's a single exit that you have to follow out of. And you say, well, there's nothing to be afraid of as I wander in the mall unless you've got a credit card. Then you could be in trouble. But it's a deliberate wandering. You just wander through the mall. Sometimes, though, we wander because we don't know where to go. This word is used of Hagar. Hagar was Sarah's servant, and she was ticked off at Hagar. And so she told Abraham, you need to get rid of her. So Abraham took Hagar and her child and said, you need to go. And the scripture says, Hagar was sent away by Abraham and wandered in the wilderness. Nowhere to go, didn't know what to do, just lost in the wilderness. You might recall the book of Genesis and the story of Joseph that we looked at a number of months ago. How Joseph was sent to find his brothers and he went to the place where he thought they were. And it says that a stranger found him wandering in the fields. He didn't have a clue where he was going. He didn't have a clue where his brothers were. He was just wandering around, kind of lost. Sometimes we wander out of curiosity. This is really dangerous, particularly for children. They see something that catches their eye, something that's shiny, uh, a path or a flitter in the woods or something, and off they go. They just wander off the path. It's such an easy way to wander into real, real danger. Sometimes we wander out of self-deception. Our hearts believe what is untrue. And we're sucked away or we're lured away from the safety of a a path or a, a particular environment. Sometimes we are lured off a path. We wander through a deception of another. And so the Bible uses this word wander to describe sheep wandering away from a flock. Or an Israelite who wanders away from God. All we like sheep have gone astray. And as I've said, there's times that we wander out of our own volition. And there's times that we wander through the seduction and the deception of others. Hebrews 2 tells us or warns us in verse 1 to be careful not to drift away from the things that we know. Peter, in chapter 2 of 2 Peter, reminds us of those those who set upon us with a purposeful 
deception. And so wandering is something that just can happen or it can be a deceptive intent by somebody else. But what, is, what do we wander for? That's the question that we need to ask ourselves. And James answers it very clearly here. We wander from the truth. If anyone should wander from the truth, well, the truth is the word of God. The truth is the word of God spoken to us and revealed to us. In verse 1 or chapter 1, verse 18, James tells us we've been born again by the word of God. And then in a frightening verse, in verse uh, um, uh, 21, which is similar to what James is saying here, he says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Why? Because it is able to save your souls. And so James is concerned and he's reminding them that we aren't to wander away from the truth. This is the heart of the matter. And this is where you and I as brothers and sisters in Christ can get into so much trouble. It is possible to wander from the truth in a couple of different ways. We can wander theologically and we can wander ethically. We can wander in the way that we think and in truths that we used to believe and now we doubt. And so we can wander in those sorts of things. I've seen people walk away from critical doctrines that they used to believe and they've heard something that's caught them up and now they've just gone off the path. But we can also wander ethically. We no longer believe that this command applies to me. We no longer believe that lying is wrong. We no longer believe that sexual immorality is out of bounds for a Christian. And so ethically we wander from the commands of God. And so this notion of wandering from the truth encompasses both thought and deed. This is why it's so important, parents, that in your home you establish the standard of truth. That's what Moses talks about talks to parents about in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this is why a church needs to be established in the truth. Paul writes to Timothy and he calls the church the pillar of truth. Truth is what is the standard. Truth is the goal. Truth is the guideline for us as a people of God. It's a battleground, as Timothy reminds us. We need to learn how to correctly handle the truth. The Bible describes those who perish because they wander from the path of truth. Romans describes those who suppress the truth. It's one thing to wander from personal opinion. And there's a lot of that in Christian circles. It's an entirely another thing to wander from the truth of the word of God. It's one thing to wander away from religion. And I hope we all would wander away from religion. It's an entirely another thing to wander away from the truth. Truth is not some postmodern expression of truth. Well, my truth versus your truth. The truth that James is referring here is the object, objective truth of God, the revealed word of God to him, the word of God that has shaped the lives of these believers that James is writing to. How do we wander from the truth? James talks about it. Well, we can wander away from the truth during times of trial. As these trials come into our life and we give up on steadfastness, we wander away from the purpose of trials in our lives. We can wander away from the wisdom that comes to us from above. We can wander away from the truth that God doesn't tempt us, but it comes from our own heart and we deceive ourselves that our hearts are actually not that bad. 
We wander away from the truth when we convince ourselves that an actionless faith is a real faith. We wander away from the truth when we believe that our words no longer matter, that we can speak this way to one person and that way to another person. It doesn't really matter what we say. We can wander away from the truth when we lose sight of the coming of the Lord. We can wander away from the truth when we put all of our our focus on our own abilities and our own strength and we think we handle tomorrow and we know what's coming and we've got this thing. We wander away from the truth when we fall in love with the world around us. We wander away from the truth when money becomes our treasure rather than eternal things. And so James is concerned, brothers, if any of you should wander from the truth, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. Loved ones, this is a sobering possibility that each of us needs to be mindful of. The second thing James talks about is a significant risk. So what is to be done with the anyone in the church family who begins to wander? Well, notice what he says. Someone should bring him back. Someone should go and get him. Someone should find them and turn them back onto the path of truth. James's point here is that the wanderer is not listening. The wanderer maybe doesn't know they've wandered. The wanderer maybe is deceived and pulled off the track. They're not looking to come back. They're not maybe wanting to come back. They've just gone. And so James says, you need to go get them. Notice James doesn't identify the someone My experience has been that often people replace the someone with pastor or with elder. But James doesn't do that here. It's not anybody but me. It's not somebody should do something but not me. James is purposely clear and vague. Someone. That means anyone. Anyone whose eye catches a wanderer. Anyone who notices that somebody is off the path. You go get them. If you saw a child wandering off a path in a wilderness, you wouldn't say, well, I'll wait for the search and rescue. I'll give them a call. Or I'll wait till their parents show up. You'd go get that kid. Sadly, by the time pastors and elders get involved in the life of a wanderer, it's often messy and can be too late. Similarly, the time when a search and rescue is called in to go and help with somebody that's lost, it can often be too late or become a really, really critical situation. I think it's Alistair Begg who mentioned along the fact that, that by the time a church staff or pastors heard about somebody that's wandering, it's like trying to pick up a dozen eggs that have fallen out of the carton on the floor and put them back, yolks and whites, into the eggshells and put them back in the carton. Loved ones, wanderers need the help of the persons closest to them when their wandering begins. It is so much easier to bring a wanderer back when you catch them in the initial stages of wandering. Parents, you live with your children. You see the changes in their attitudes and their behaviors and their friendships. You see how they're veering from the the, the guidelines and the rules that you've set in the home. And you shouldn't think, oh, that's just funny. Oh, that's just cute. You should say, no, they're wandering away from the the guidelines and the, 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 the pathway that we've set for our home. 
Friends are able to detect subtle and not so subtle changes in another friend's behavior long before somebody else catches it. Growth groups and Bible studies are a great context in which to find out and keep track of somebody who is maybe wandering. There's a great text that we find in Exodus chapter 23, verse 4. It says there, If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, wandering, you shall bring it back to him. Now think this through just a little bit, that text. You're in a hurry to get home. You've got places to go. You've got to get home for dinner. Then you see this ox wandering down the road, and you think, what's that beast doing out here in the middle of nowhere? Why is it not tied up? But then you notice a frayed rope dangling from its harness, and you connect the dots, and you say, oh, it's escaped. It's somehow broken its rope. And then you look a little closer, and you notice a brand on it, and you realize that's Ahab's ox. I hate Ahab. He's my enemy. I sure hope that a lion doesn't get it. This guy has been nothing but a pain in my butt. And now you hear the command of God, even if your enemy's ox goes astray, take it home to them. Loved ones, if God is so concerned about an enemy's ox or donkey, how much more concerned is he with one who professes to be one of the family of God? Matthew 18, 12 to 20. A little bit of it here says, What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray? Does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountain and go search for the one that is straying? And if it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices more over the, 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 the more than over the ninety-nine which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your father. So is it not the will of your father who is in heaven that none of these little ones perish? Loved ones, God's desire is that none of his children perish. Someone. Someone. I like that word. I, I like it because it doesn't define who. I like it because there's no chain of command. It simply says, we ought to care for one another. We ought to notice one another. We ought to watch out for one another. Someone means anyone. It means you. It means me. Nobody is exempt from this responsibility. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, restore him gently. Who do you think the spiritual are? It's anybody who is in Christ. It's anyone who has the Spirit of God in him. It's not just the super-Christian. It's not just the elders. It's not just the pastor. It's not just the growth group, growth group leaders. It's anyone who has the Spirit of God in them. You, go rescue them. Restore them gently. But you see, there's great risk in this, isn't there? I've been thinking about this. This is one of the hardest things that the Christian is called to do is to go and get a wanderer. I can just think of a few reasons why. Rejection. Some of you may have faced this. You've gone and talked with somebody you've worshipped with and you know been a member of the Christ, body of Christ and they've just turned their back on you. Maybe they've been rude to you. Sometimes there's the accusation of judging. Well, who are you to judge me? 
And we've got our own issues of needing to take the log out of our own eye before we try and take the splinter out of another person's eye. Sometimes there's a danger that we have our Christian hobby horses and if somebody goes from my personal opinion or my hobby horse, then I'm going to bring them back. That's not what James is talking about here. Nor is it saying like, 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 like when you have a dog in the fight, that's when you go get somebody. No, there's risk here. Very real risk. But has not God risked by sending Jesus into the world? To seek and to save the lost? How do you identify a wanderer? I think it's pretty easy. James, pretty clearly, they have wandered from the truth. The word of God no longer guides their life. The word of God is no longer important in their life. The gospel of God is no longer changing the way that they live. The promises of God are no longer what they hold on to. The warnings of God they've cast aside. We risk much more with somebody physically, and even there we're a little bit hesitant. I've noticed you're not eating much, are you? And you seem to be losing weight. Is everything all right? You seem to be downcast and depressed. I've seen you longed face for a couple weeks. Is everything all right? Or conversely, you've been gaining a lot of weight lately. Is, are you doing okay? Or what's that spot on your back? It, it doesn't seem that it's a normal kind of spot. But identifying and talking with somebody about spiritual issues is a whole other game altogether. How do we do it? Well, you're not in the right place. In other words, you're not meeting with the people of God anymore. It's been six weeks and I've not seen you with the people of God. You're not on the right path any longer. You're going places and you're doing things and you're in relationships that, that you would have never thought would be right in the Word of God. In fact, says those are dangerous relationships. You used to be walking in this direction and talking this way and thinking that way with your business. Now you're talking about taking corners and cutting corners, and that concerns me. What's that you're listening to now, that, that music that you've started to embrace? What are those books that you're reading? reading? Who are these new friends that you've got? They, they're not friends that are encouraging you or sending you in the right direction. There's risk, real risk involved. He says, and someone turns him back. That's a word of repentance. That's a word of turning around. I think one of the things that we so need to learn in this someone going after another person is to do it with gentleness. It's what Paul talks about in Galatians. Call somebody up. You haven't seen them for a while. You happen to meet them. You don't rip a strip off of them. Your kid comes home and you know he's been hanging out with the wrong people. You don't rip a strip off of him. Sit down. Take out a coffee. Do we need to talk about something? Be gentle. Be careful. Be calm. Loved ones, there is considerable risk. But there's significant reward. And that's what James talks about in the last part of verse 20, a satisfying outcome. Let him know that whoever brings a sinner back from his wandering. He begins with an appearance. Let him know. Tell one another. There's great reward in bringing a wanderer back. He says there's this family responsibility again. There it is. That whoever. Not that when the pastor or when the elder or when the growth group leader. No. Then whoever brings a sinner back. 
from a deadly path. Notice what he says. Brings a sinner back from the path that leads to death. I wrestle with this, but we need to say it. I believe James here is talking about spiritual death. Whoever brings a sinner back will save his soul from death. He doesn't say body. He says will save his soul from death. I know there's questions just exploding in your head. You can work on them through this week. Scripture is clear that the wages of sin is death. Scripture is clear that a single sin renders us guilty before God. James has noted earlier that whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point is accountable for them all. But James is not concerned here about a single sin. He's concerned about the path of sin and the end of that path. The point James is making here is one that he's made earlier. It's the trajectory of one's life. It's the habits of one's life. It's getting on to the path of death and staying on that path to its very end. Notice what he says again in verse 13. 12 and 13 or 13 and 14. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. He himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured away and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. So again, James is not talking about a single sin. Although a single deviation, a small deviation, sets us on a trajectory that takes us away from truth. And if we stay on that path, could lead to the death of our souls. A few weeks back, I was reading through Hebrews, and a couple texts came to my mind, but one in particular. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 14, very similar to these words that James has spoken here. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. It's similar to James, isn't it? The only difference is, is there's some ability for the, the wanderer in, in the Hebrews text to recognize. He says, listen, if any of you has an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, he's saying, listen, if you see your heart and you hear what you're saying to yourself and you know it's taking you away from God, stop, turn around, go the other way. But then notice he says, but us, you and I, exhort each other, one another, every day. Not just once on a week on Sundays, but every day, exhort one another. So that we not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Anyone is at risk. Everyone has the responsibility to go get the wanderer. The consequences of leaving a wanderer to themselves or wandering without help is the potential of falling away from the living God and exposing our soul to death. But the reward is great. You see what he says? You save his soul from death and love covers a multitude of sins. 
I've been thinking about this. Under normal circumstances, when we can regularly gather together as the people of God on Sundays and during the week in small groups and for coffee, even then it's hard enough to find out or to, to talk to a wanderer, to, to detect a wanderer. We see one another and we can, we can do that. We can notice these subtle changes in them, in language or in the way that they look or in the way that they talk or the things that they're now involved in. But we are in significant times of spiritual danger. We're all alone. We don't see one another. We don't talk to one another. We're not out with one another with anywhere near the regularity that we used to be. So much easier now, is it not, to wander from the truth? Spend hours watching TV, spend hours watching, reading other books, spend hours with our own thoughts and our own minds. Oh, Father, keep us blameless. Keep us from the evil one. Finish the work that you have started in my heart. So what can we do? What are we to do? I stole these from Sinclair Ferguson. I've adapted them a little bit. Pray. If you see a wanderer, the first step is just pray. Get on your knees. Go for a walk and begin praying for them. And I think that fits here. James has been telling us from verse 13 on, pray in this situation, pray in that situation. I think he just assumes that if somebody is wandering, one of the things that we will pray or do is pray. And so if this spirit prompts your heart, Rick mentioned, if you think of somebody, call them. So if, you're, if the spirit of God prompts your heart to phone somebody or to pray for something, do it. Secondly, be willing to spend time with them. Be willing to sacrifice a bit of your day and go for a walk on the boardwalk or go meet them in their backyard or give them a call or send them a text, but be willing to spend time with them. And then, as I've already mentioned, be gentle. Be gentle. I was reading again, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. And there, Timothy writes to, uh, uh, or Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. So easy to quarrel with a wanderer, isn't it? He says, but rather be kind, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with, gent with the gentleness of God, or with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses. They're, that's what we want wanderers to do, is it not? Come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Fourthly, be brave. It takes guts to go after a wanderer. You have to risk. Maybe you put your own life in danger by going off the path. Somebody who's straight off a path in the wilderness, you've got to go get them. There's danger involved. In that. There's danger in going after a sinner. The Bible talks about that in another context. Lest we ourselves be duped into their wandering. But be great, brave. Do you, do you not believe that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation? Do you not believe the promises of God to be tr true? Then with great confidence in the word of God and the promises of God, go get them. And then be with them when they're restored. You know, I've talked to people who have wandered in public ways, and I know people have wandered in public ways, and one of the things that they're most fearful about is coming back into the fellowship of the people of God. What will they think? How will they look at me? Will you sit with them? You walk with them. You defend them. You stand up with them. Be with them as they're restored. 
Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. We don't do that. It's Christ that does this. It's Christ who saves them from their death. It's Christ whose blood covers, whose blood covers their sins, a multitude of their sins. It's not you. It's not anything you do or anything you say. It's that you draw them back to Christ. You point them back to Christ. You say Christ is sufficient. Christ is enough. Christ will forget. He casts your sins behind his back. He puts them as far as the east is from the rest. West, remember Christ. The psalmist says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So in conclusion, what do we do with a text like this? Let it frighten you. Don't try to tidy things up with queries about whether the wanderer was really saved or not. A.W. Tozer answers the question about Demas, one who left the, the, the body of Christ, and, and he, he, he answers the question whether Demas was finally lost or saved. And his response with this, all I can say is that the last time we see Demas, he was walking in the wrong direction. And the last time James speaks of the wanderer, he's walking in the wrong direction. He's walking out into the night, cut off from God and his word. It's meant to be scary. And that's not necessarily bad. Because it's grace that taught my heart to fear. Do you know anyone that's wandering today? Go get them. Get on your knees and start praying. Muster up courage. Speak truth. Speak mercy. Speak grace. Speak forgiveness. Point them to Christ. Bring them back to the truth. Are you wandering today? Have you strayed for the truth? From the truth? Call us. Call me. Call Barry. Call somebody at the church. Say, I think that's me. You've jolted something in me. You've you scared me. You've made me realize that I've veered from the truth terribly. Will you, will you talk with me? Yes, we'll talk with you. We'll be gentle. We'll be careful. We'll be loving. But we'll point you back to the truth because that is the only safe path to be on. Will you not turn back to God through Christ today? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for this book that has been so helpful for us as your children what a way to end father with just a reminder of how critical the truth is how critical the body of christ is how subtle a danger it is in our lives to just slowly veer away from the truth how necessary it is that we watch out for one another in a gentle loving way but we watch out for one another to bring them back to the only one who can save their souls, Jesus Christ. To the only one who can pay the penalty for their sins, Jesus Christ in his shed blood. Oh, Father, draw us to Christ, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.